Well, you know, whenever anyone begins to study their family's lineage and their history, uh, they, they usually are warned that they might find out some things that they weren't expecting. They, uh, they might find out that their great-great-uncle was a horse thief, or that their ancestors was a deserter in the Civil War. Uh, when you study your family's history, you're usually in for a few surprises. There are, there are some who find some embarrassing family stories, and there are others who can trace their lineage back many generations, and they find many great men and women. Uh, when we come to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew introduces us and tells us of the birth of Jesus, not with a grand story of angels, not with the wise men uh, to start with, or the grand words of John who said, in the beginning was the word. Matthew starts his gospel with a genealogy. You see, for Matthew, who's presenting Jesus as the king, there is no more important way of beginning that Christmas story than telling where Jesus came from. Matthew considered it so important that he put this genealogy right at the beginning of his gospel. In fact, as you open your Bible, this genealogy is the very first thing you read in the entire New Testament, isn't it? And so we start the New Testament and we go, oh, here's an exciting passage for us. This is going to be really fun, huh? Matthew considered it so important, though, that I'd like to begin today by reading these words and go through our passage today by reading the words of this genealogy that the Holy Spirit put here and that he sought for you to receive. Uh, some of the names you may know, and you'll know them from the stories that, that we've learned growing up, maybe some of the stories that we've been covering here in, in the story. Um, some of these are going to be stories that uh, you might recognize the names, or some of them may just sound like you're hearing them for the first time all over again. But I'm going to read through this list by doing something a little bit different this time. And this is why I want to read Jesus' genealogy today, uh, other than it being the introduction to the New Testament. Over this past 21 weeks, we've been discovering the story. We've been looking at the, the story of God redeeming mankind. And We've watched how all these stories of individual people fit within this upper story of God's work in redeeming mankind. And whereas sometimes these lower stories of individual lives don't seem connected together, we've seen how in God's sovereign plan, he, he has been pulling the lives of all men together in a way that he is redeeming us and bringing us back to what he intended for us at the creation. We've noted how all of human history and all of Scripture points to the one pivotal moment in history when God's Son became flesh and, and He dwelt among us. He died for us, and He conquered death by rising from the dead. So we're going to do something as we go through this genealogy. We're going to review all of our Old Testament key words. And, and I'd like you to look at the genealogy in a little bit of a different way today. Uh, and I'd like you to start putting these names into the context of what we've been doing for this last 21 weeks. We're going to review all the Old Testament keywords, and I want you to, to see how these individuals are more than just a list of names. It's more than just a genealogy that Matthew kind of had to put here. He put it here for a reason. And when he's writing to his Jewish audience, because that's the audience of the Gospel of Matthew when it was originally in, written, these names represented the history that some of you have been learning for the first time over this last few weeks. This re this, these names represented the history of the Old Testament that they were so familiar with. 
These names drive home the point that Jesus, who is called the Christ, is the culmination of everything that we've discovered over these last 21 weeks. And so Matthew starts verse 1 with three names that you need to know if you don't know them already. He says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, of course, the name of Jesus, Jesus is important, right? Right? Okay, right, okay, good. Everything in the Bible points to this man because he is God. Because he created all things. He created the entire universe. And because he stepped into our world and became one of us. We also know uh, the name of David uh, early on in, in our series uh, we introduced the concept of what a covenant was. This, not more than a contract, it's a lifelong relationship that was binding, but, but it, was, it wasn't just obligations, it was a relationship. And, and, and we saw that God had made a covenant with David. God promised David that his throne would last forever. He promised David there would not be an end of his descendants who would rule as the kings of Israel. Uh, there were sure some bumps along the way, right? I mean, David wasn't really perfect, was he? Um, it was unclear how God was going to fulfill his promises when David failed and his descendants failed. But, but Matthew is immediately driving our attention to, to David, and then with that, he includes driving our attention to the promises that God made to David. Jesus is going to be the fulfillment of that Davidic covenant. You're also familiar, probably, if you, we go further back, with the name of Abraham. God also... Uh, made a covenant with Abraham when he promised to bless him and to make his descendants a blessing to the entire world. He told Abraham, look at the sand on the seashore. I'm going to make your, your, your descendants as numerous. You won't be able to count them. Look at the stars in heaven. You won't be able to count your, your descendants. There are going to be so many. There were times when it was unclear how God would fulfill his covenant as well to Abraham. But... Matthew is driving our attention to Abraham, and that includes driving our attention to the promises that were made to Abraham. Jesus will be the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. And, and so this is the outline for the list of names. He starts in verse 1 and basically gives us a, a three-point outline for the rest of the passage. He, he's going to take us back to David, back to Abraham, and then come back to Jesus um, at, at the end. Matthew's going to start with Abraham. He's going to give us a list of 14 important ancestors that came from him. That will lead us to David, and he's going to give us 14 ancestors that descend from David, and then another 14 that come out of the captivity, and after that, and that will bring us back to Jesus the Christ. So let's look at this list of 42 names and see how these people fit into what we've discovered so far, and let's try to read this from a Jewish perspective and our vast knowledge of the Old Testament and all these names that, that we've encountered, right? Our first key words that we learned uh, took us through the book of Genesis, and so just a quick review, we had creation, fall, flood, Babel, and then we had patriarchs. Patriarchs means the fathers. And so these are the original fathers of the Jewish nation and, and the peoples that were related to the Jews. The Gospel of Luke goes all the way back to Adam and goes to, to all the way back to creation in the genealogy that he shares there. Uh, he probably shares the genealogy of Mary, the, the wife of of Joseph, who was, um, Mary was the mother of Jesus. Uh, so he shows how biologically Jesus came from the line of David and the line of Abraham and from Adam. 
Matthew's going to focus on the genealogy of probably what was Joseph and show how his adopted lineage was also from David and was from the kingly line. But Matthew's going to start his genealogy with the patriarchs, which we read in verse, of in verse 2. And he starts with the patriarchs. He says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron. It's interesting that in, in Matthew's genealogy that he draws our attention several places to several of the women in the lineage of Jesus. Did you notice that? Uh, it's not just listing all the men, but, but he mentions a few of the women that were the mothers of Jesus' ancestors. You see, the story of Judah that that's our attention is drawn to in verse 3, it's, it's a portrait of God's grace. Because here we find uh, Judah... That, that was the sibling uh, of Joseph, who, who was the one that actually conspired to kill his own brother. Do you remember that story when we were going through the life of Joseph? There's all the brothers, and they're, they're having lunch. And, oh, here comes the dreamer. And they see Joseph coming, and he's on his way. And they loved him so much. <laughs> well, they, it says that they, they hated him. They couldn't even speak peace to him. And so here he comes, and so Judah comes up with this great idea. You know, he is our brother, so what do we do? Let's kill him. You know, this is the opportunity to, to get rid of him. It's Reuben that finally comes up with the idea of, you know, let's just, let's just throw him in a pit and, and take his coat and tell Dad that he died, and he's, he had a secret plan to, to take him back later on. But Judah is the one who decided, let's kill our brother. This is the son who, who's going to leave his father's God, He's going to leave his brothers, his whole family, to become, uh, he's actually going to become friends with a Canaanite, uh, the man who fathered, uh, Judah's the man who fathered two wicked sons. He, he withheld his third son from Tamar, his daughter-in-law, who was legally pledged to be married to him. So he's breaking traditional laws of their culture, of their customs. He's breaking God's laws. Uh, Ju Judah was a, a godless man. And, and here he is in the ancestry of Jesus. We find in Judah uh, a man who is an adulterer uh, who went along the road and he came to a prostitute. And he went into the prostitute. Turns out that that prostitute was actually his widowed daughter, Tamar. And so she gives birth to twins. And, and Matthew makes us pause here for a moment in this genealogy and he kind of slows it down. He doesn't want you to just rush through ancestry here. He wants you to, to stop and go, okay, who, who are these people? And he pauses with this, this woman and this man who was a horrible man to start with. And, and he pauses with Judah and Tamar and the sons that she bore him. Because you see, God had mercy on Judah. If you remember the story of Judah, here was the most vile of brothers, but in God's grace, Judah's life is transformed. He becomes a completely different person as life goes on. He becomes the one who eventually represents the entire family. And when they go down to Egypt, it's Judah that speaks up and repents. It's Judah that stands up and says, what we did was wrong. It's Judah that confesses to Joseph. And he ends up leading the family, and, and um, he becomes the representative instead of the oldest, Reuben. He was the one whom Israel blessed to become the father of the ruling tribe and eventually the father of the Messiah. You know, some people would have a problem with the historical 
fact that Jesus was a descendant of Tamar, who was Judah's daughter-in-law, and their twins were conceived in the act of prostitution, adultery, and incest. Great family tree, huh? Nice way to start the gospel, Matthew. Yet the sin of Judah and Tamar is no more offensive in God's sight than the shortcomings of all these other men. The offenses of Jacob and Abraham's doubts. and You see, God does not fail at the shortcomings of people. He succeeds and he overcomes. And Matthew starts showing us that early on as we look at this genealogy. Are you starting to realize that this is more than just a list of names that Matthew throws in here for the fun of it? Yeah, it's bigger than that. You see, it, it, he takes us through the end of the book of Genesis when, when Jacob took his whole family down, to, down south to his son Joseph. Joseph provides food and a place to live for the family, and they stayed there for a few hundred years. Um, the place that Jacob took the first Israelites to was, the next key word, was the country that they, they took them to, yeah, to Egypt. Yeah. And while they were living in Egypt, several more generations were born. The three, three generations listed by Matthew are in verses 3 to 4. He says, And Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon. That, of course, leads us to our next key word, was a man that led Israelites out of Egypt, and he was Moses. Good. And after centuries in Egypt, Moses led the people out of bondage to the promised land, with each tribe being represented by one leader. And Nashon, there's his name up there, Nashon was the leader of the Judahites, and he falls in the line of Jesus as well. Uh, Nashon led the tribe according to Numbers chapter 2, verse 3. He was their leader as they left Egypt. He offered the peace offering for the people in Numbers 7 and verses 12 and 17. He leads the army of Judah in front of all the other armies of Israel in Numbers 10, 14. And so Nashon is probably, uh, outside of Moses and some of the, and Aaron and, and some of the high priests, Nashon is one of the great leaders of Israel in that generation that, that comes out of the Exodus. We find him here in Jesus' genealogy. It's a name that we might not be familiar with from Sunday school. How many of you guys remember Nashon from when you're in third grade? Yeah, I don't. Um, but the Jews that Matthew was writing in his, to his, his gospel to, they, they would have been very familiar with Nashon. And as they're reading through this, they went, oh, yeah. I remember Nashon and the stories of, of him. They would have equated him with the Exodus, and they also would have equated him with our next keyword that we discussed, and that keyword was wanderings. If you don't remember these, and, and it's really throwing you off that I'm only giving you one at a time, they are on the back of your sermon notes, too. You can cheat it today. It's all right. That brings us to the end of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, the end of our first eight keywords, and the end of our first nine fathers in the genealogy. Uh, our key word next was Joshua. Uh, this was the first leader in the promised land. Uh, Matthew continues his list during that period, and he says, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. For the second time, Matthew mentions another mother of Jesus, another mother in the genealogy of Jesus. And if you remember from the book of Joshua, who was Rahab? Another prostitute. Yeah. Rahab was the, the harlot who lived in the wall of Jericho. And when the spies came, uh, she gave them lodging. And, uh, and, and she protected them. They escaped. And uh, her life was spared when the walls of Jericho came down. She protects these spies. She hangs that scarlet rope uh, out of the, the window. 
Her family were the only ones that were spared when the walls came down because Rahab believed. And, and so again, how, how appropriate that the Messiah came, the Messiah who came to forgive sins, the sins of the whole world, he came through, he came through people who were far from perfect and thus demonstrated the forgiveness, the mercy, and, and the grace of our loving God. Uh, Ra- Rahab isn't the type of person who belongs front and center in most genealogies, is she? You, you look at Ancestry.com and what do people highlight? You know, I'm related to Abraham Lincoln. You know, George Washington was you know, my great-something grandfather, even though I didn't have kids. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's the way genealogies work, you know. We, we find any link that we can, you know, and we, we, we talk about, and then you find out, you know, that you had nothing to do with that person. And so people highlight, you know, anything they can to draw attention to what a great genealogy, what a great ancestry they have. But Matthew comes to us and he says, who are we related to? You know, Tamar, Judah, Rahab. But then again, you and I, you and I aren't the type of people who belong front and center in the kingdom of God either, are we? Are, are we the type of people that you would pick for your kingdom? Are you the type of people that God would say that, that you would say, you know, if I'm going to start an empire, you know, these are the people that I'm going to go and, and be the most prominent people in my kingdom? I'm not, a- and yet Jesus chose me. He chose you, and He chose us to be part of His family. Rahab's an important mother that's listed in the family history of the King of Kings. And that brings us to Judges. Uh, this is a period of Israel's history that, again, lasted for a few centuries. Matthew uh, summarizes this period in verses 5 and 6, but again, he mentions one of the mothers in the line of Jesus right at the start. Uh, he mentions Ruth. Ruth was a woman from a foreign land, uh, a Moabite, and, and she too came to faith and demonstrates God's love for people from outside of the land of Israel and how God can, can transform a person's life and and take his love and then shine it through their lives. We're going to look, look at Ruth's life here later on this summer as we come back to the book of Ruth um, for a different series. But Matthew continues and says, And Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. Aha! So you're reading through the genealogy, and finally we come to one of the you know, great names, right? You think, David, you know, there is a great person. There's a, a king. Yeah, quit, quit flexing over there, David. Um, just stretching, sorry. Um, I thought you were saying, yeah, I'm David. Um, well, that's the end of the first section of Matthew's genealogy. And, and that brings us to, what was the third group of, of leadership in Israel that we looked at? We had Joshua, Judges, and three kings. Uh, those were Saul. Saul comes from a different tribe. He's a Benjamite. Um, and then we have uh, David and, and then Solomon. Solomon was the third king who ruled over the United Kingdom. But, but Matthew is going to pause here for a second, and he's going to introduce us to a fourth mother in the lineage of Jesus. Uh, because Matthew starts with the next group of 14 people, and he writes in verse 6, And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Do you remember what her name was? Bathsheba. Yeah. But again, many would have a problem with imperfect people being in the line of the Messiah especially uh, an adulterer and a murderer. And I'm not talking about Bathsheba, I'm talking about David. You see, Matthew 
uh, he, he only strengthens the concept that Matthew, that the Messiah comes to show grace and to save the world for people like tax collectors and harlots. And normally one would say, wow, King David. There's some mighty lineage for the Messiah. But rather, what Matthew does is he focuses on the other side of David, doesn't he? He doesn't just say, wow, King David. He says, David. We had Solomon by the wife of Uriah. He took another man's wife. Oh, Jesus descends from that David. Jesus came to save such as these. However, not only does the Christ come from the line of David as promised, and not only did God remain true to his word in spite of sin, not only does the lineage of Christ show his sovereignty in the royal line, but it also shows us that God is sovereign even in the small details of demonstrating his grace to mankind. The minds of men would ask for a pure and and undefiled lineage for the king of kings. But, but God shows that his, this king is a king of grace. What did we sing a few minutes ago? A good and gracious king. That's who Jesus is, and that's what Matthew shows us. He's a king of grace that can show mercy to sinners such as the nameless wife of David, of murderers such as this adulterous king, to bring the Savior of the world into the world who took on human flesh. What are our next two key phrases we learned in the Old Testament? We move into the next section. We have the divided kingdom and then two numbers, 19 and and 20. Yeah, so we had 19 kings in the northern kingdom, and we had 20 kings and actually 19 kings and one queen in the southern kingdom, uh, to be technical. Uh, All the next 14 people in the genealogy of Christ come from this period of the divided kingdom. In fact, all of them were 14 of, out of the 20 who ruled over the southern kingdom. Uh, we read this in verse 7. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abishah, the father of Asaph, who you probably know as Asa in the Old Testament, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uh, so just a quick couple notes as we read through these names, and for those of you who are doing the math, um, I've, I've listed uh, the kings that Chronicles describes as doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord uh, in bold. Uh, and also note that Matthew's not, Matthew is not Ancestry.com, right? It, does Matthew have to follow the rules of everybody else's family tree? Yeah, we kind of have this expectation that so-and-so is the father of, and you have to have everything ching, 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 lined up. But um, genealogies commonly are going to highlight certain names and certain features and and what matthew does is he takes groups of 14 to help people easily remember where jesus come came from but he's not following these strict policies that we would expect in a family tree and so he's going to give us 14 highlights between these major periods of old testament history so you're going to notice that there's going to be generations that are missing there are three kings that are missing in a row um, right there actually between jehoram and, and uzziah and two of them were kind of the okay godly kings that didn't finish so well but but did some good things, and the queen. And so he's going to skip three generations between them. Um, in verse 9, he goes on, he says, And Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, 
and Amos, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And so Matthew basically sums up all of Josiah's sons by just mentioning his one grandson. So he skips over one generation and three of the evil kings. But what brings us through the second set of four, that brings us through the second set of 14 people. And, and Matthew has mentioned the, the time of the deportation to Babylon. Uh, we had a key word that we associated with that that we've looking at that we've been looking at the last few weeks. What was that? Exile. Okay. So after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel is a name that you might recognize from the book of Ezra. Some of you might have caught that. Uh, after the exile came the return, and so there's our last key word, and that and that brings us to the end of the Old Testament. That brings us to the end of uh, our series that we've looked at so far. Uh, but, over, uh, but in those 400 years that, that are going to follow this, there, there were no, no prophets proclaiming the word of the Lord. There was no scripture being added to the Old Testament. But, but people were still living, weren't they? The history was still happening. There's some incredible things that happened over those years. And the people were waiting during that time. They were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. You come into the New Testament and you read the stories of Matthew and Joseph and some of the, uh, the people that were at the temple, they were looking for the Messiah. They were waiting for the Messiah. They were looking for the one that would fulfill God's promises that had been made back in Genesis chapter 3, in the Abrahamic covenant, in the Davidic covenant. The prophets had prophesied, and they, the prophets longed to understand some of these things. I mean, I think Daniel... He prophesied some of the things in the book of Daniel and went, what in the world did I just say? You know, what am I writing down? I don't get what these, these visions are that I'm seeing and how does all this fit together and, and when's the Messiah going to come? And they longed to understand the things that God was showing them that you and I now are privy to because we are on this side of history. And they longed to understand those things. But even they had to wait. And so the genealogy of the Messiah continues as Matthew records it in verses 13 through 15 through this period of what we call the 400 years of silence, which was not so silent, there just wasn't any more scripture being added. And Zerubbabel was the father of Abiod, and Abiod the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Notice that Matthew, he's kind of set things up for us, hasn't he? Because he's going to talk about Mary a little bit. She's kind of an important character here at the beginning of Matthew. Have you got that? Um, and, and so he's going to set things up by introducing to us one more mother in the line of Jesus. He's already shown us four other of his great 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 grandmothers and and now he introduces us introduces us to a young girl named mary we know that she was a virgin and she had not yet been married to joseph because the holy spirit performed a miracle while they were still betrothed and jesus was conceived without a human father and so matthew concludes and says so all the generations from abraham to david were 14 generations and from david to the deportation to babylon 14 generations and from the deportation to babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And so this Matthew introduces us to this good and gracious king. And of course, this king did what was right in the sight of the Lord. 
like many of the others, but in a whole new way. A couple chapters later, God the Father is going to declare, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So yeah, he did what was good in the sight of the Lord. Overall, as we look at this genealogy, this history packed into a list of 42 names, what Matthew does is he leads us to a point where we can take comfort in knowing that our God is faithful. Through all the failures, God fulfills his promises. The fulfillment of past promises assures us that we can take him at his word and expect that he's going to fulfill the promises that he's made to us. We can trust in the sovereignty of our God. He, he's in complete control of all the details of the past. He assures us that he remains in complete control of our lives today. He, he doesn't see anything and go, oops. We, we also learn from this list of people who lived on the lower story that, that we can enjoy and give thanks to, for, for our God's grace. His mercy to others demonstrates that he indeed came to seek and to save the lost. And the same God that used the outcasts in Jesus' genealogy can take men and women like us. He can bring salvation to each one of us when we accept by grace through faith the king jesus who came and died for us and then god can accomplish his purposes in our lives in ways that are just remarkable I, i'd like to conclude by taking us to one other passage david read it for us just a little bit ago it's in the book of galatians it falls in the middle of this discussion that, that david read for us which we won't get into today but in galatians chapter 4 verse 4 he makes this comment after a discussion about how we were unable to overcome our sin, uh, we were unable to save ourselves, we were unable to move past the ABCs of the law and, and works righteousness. And Paul says, but God. And, and here's where Paul teaches this, this incredible truth about the coming of, of Jesus. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law the fullness of time uh, refers to a time when in which god had prepared for his son jesus christ he prepared for jesus to be sent to this world and, and here's the beautiful thing about what's being said here god knew the perfect timing in fact god had prepared the perfect timing all of human history has been arranged around the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see that the, the law had fulfilled its purpose. When Jesus came, it was the fullness of time culturally. Uh, Greece had unified the ancient world and, and they spoke a, a common language. They were under a common government. They had common roads and, and they had a common system for communicating with one another. And so this was the perfect time that after the, the resurrection of Jesus, he sends the disciples out. Remember his last command to us? Go into all the world. Make disciples. And, and under the Greek uh, system that had been put in place, and then the peace of Rome, I, it was ready. It was the perfect time geographically, uh, culturally, politically. The, the world was currently under what was the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And so Jesus comes at this time in history and his coming was the focal point of all of human history. 
But in verse 5 of Galatians, he explains the purpose for which Jesus came. He says, God sent forth his son to redeem those who were under the law so that he might, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I want you to understand, as we look at this genealogy and see this, this great king of, uh, that's good and, and gracious, this good king who came at the fullness of time, who was the center of all of history, I want you to understand that when Jesus came into this world, he, he came to buy us back. We call it redemption, right? He bought us back. We who were once slaves... We were slaves to the law. We were slaves to our sin. Slaves to ourselves. Slaves to a system that we could not break out of. But Jesus was sent to redeem us. He was the promised Messiah that the people of the Old Testament had been looking forward to ever since God had made that promise of a seed born to a woman. But the incredible truth is this. That he didn't just buy us back to make us his slaves. Isn't that how buying back usually works? Go on the slave market, I'll buy that one, I'll buy that one. You just go from one slave owner to the other. But Jesus, it doesn't say he bought us to make us his slaves. He redeemed us at the fullness of time so that we might be adopted as sons. Well, that's a different pattern than we normally see in our cultures and the world today he redeemed us at the fullness of times so that we might be adopted with sons and then become co-heirs with jesus christ so now we can cry out to god as our daddy and with sonship he has made us heirs to eternal life and everything that eternity offers we're going to celebrate communion here in just a moment and so i'm going to ask the men to come forward as Brian leads us in a time of remembering our Lord Jesus Christ, who is a good and gracious King, and came to die for us. As the men come forward, please join me in prayer. Father, we, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for what you teach us here. Father, we thank you for the genealogy of Jesus. Here's this passage that, that so often we just kind of brush by. For us living in the 21st century, this is a really awkward way to start the New Testament really way awkward way to start a, a telling of the, the ministry and life of jesus but lord you planned it and uh here at the beginning of the new testament you give us a a, a summary of of everything we've learned so far and so much more so much packed in this list of 42 names and, and within that you teach us about your grace and you teach us about our sin you teach us about our need for a savior our need for a king who is gracious and good and who loves us. And, and we marvel at the truth that, that we have been called not just to be yours, and we are, and we owe all to you, Lord. We, we are your servants, and, and we owe you our allegiance and obedience. But, but you've called us to m so much more than that, and we, we just give you praise for that. You called us to be your sons. You adopted us. 
Father, if there's anybody here today that, that has not received that adoption yet, has not partaken in redemption, I, I pray that today would be the day that their faith would be placed in Jesus Christ. Not the day that they would do something that would save themselves. Not the day that they would perform some great act that, that would catch your notice, because none of us can do that. But that today would be the day that they say, I believe, I, I believe what Jesus did. I believe that this man came, and, and God came, and he died for me. He conquered death by rising from the dead, and I, I believe it. And I pray that through that faith, that many would come to you today. It's in your name we ask, amen. Thank you.